The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the Global News Radio studios in Toronto, with Hi-Fi portfolio managers, here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good evening, my friends. May long weekend. I guess the official kickoff to summer. Uh, indeed. Well, I do hope you have a wonderful summer, and uh, we are getting closer uh, to the inevitable, i.e. a little more normalcy. Uh, tell you, the market is just uh, quite fascinating at this juncture. Uh, V-shaped recovery, unbelievable. Uh, the bounce back, uh, the pent-up demand. I can just sense it and feel it. We really want to uh, experience the roaring 20s. I can feel it uh, in the uh, DNA of society right now. Um, the environment remains an issue. Uh, I think it got pushed to the side uh, during COVID, uh, but the uh, ESG theme, uh, environmental social governance theme, uh, was to be a big theme in 2021. Um, I think it's going to uh, continue to uh, remain relevant. Uh, institutional managers uh, making sure that they have their uh, portion and uh, proper allocation in the space, and if not, certainly uh, trying to up it as best as possible. Uh, here at home, we have a pretty pure play company in uh, solar. Um, Nick Bittersweek is the CEO and founder of UG International. Uh, pleasure to have him on the radio. We've uh, had him on air a number of years ago. And uh, it's good to have you back, uh, Nick. Uh, and Nick Bittersweek, CEO and founder of UG International. Uh, good evening to you, my friend. Good evening, and thanks so much for having us back on. So uh, please uh, update us on the progress. I think last time we spoke with you, you were actually in New York City, uh, I guess, you know, promoting your company. Um, where are you at with the in the, in the world of solar? And uh, tell us about your challenges and successes, and uh, your view of solar on a go forward basis. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, of course. But just uh, you know, quick background: I'm a I'm a BC boy who found myself down in the New York area for uh, for my first job many years back, and and uh, have been here ever since. But um, Started UGE down here, but uh, but also have a pretty big presence in Ontario, and uh, I've done a lot of work across North America over the years. So, you know, in a nutshell, uh, when you hear about solar, of course, uh, none of it matters if those projects aren't being being developed, built out, financed, and so on. And that's the role that we play. So, we're in the mid-scale space. So, you're talking about large rooftops of shopping malls and schools and what have you, up to the some of the smaller ground mount projects. And so we're, we're, uh, we're, we're doing that type of work right now, mostly in the eastern U.S. Is, is where we're most active. But, you know, overall, uh, I can go into a lot more detail, of course, than any of this. But, but solar is really at a point now where the economics are so clear. Um, solar is the cheapest source of energy in more and more places every year, it seems. And so we're just seeing a lot of opportunity to, to build out a lot more solar these days. Um, tell me, where is Elon Musk in this equation? Where is well? That's a big question. Uh, I, I think uh, you know. You know, a number of years back, um, there was a company called Solar City, which, uh, which which Elon had been the the chairman of, initial founder of, and his uh, his, his cousins uh, were were the, were the were the co-founders of that company. So so Tesla, of course, which we all uh, equate with uh, with Elon, 
it, it bought Solar City, and I'm guessing this must have been about four years ago or so at this point. And and, and so Solar City has kind of evolved over that time frame. I think all of us, uh, you know, from from being aware of of Tesla and Tesla is the car and so on, we all get the sense that he's a real product and innovation guy. Solar City, and, and now of course that being part of Tesla, really primarily focused on the residential side of things, which roughly speaking is probably 25 or 30 percent of the overall solar deployed in, uh, in, in, in the U.S. at least right now. Pretty innovative on the, on, on the, the roofing tiles and, and, and so on that are probably, probably a lot of your listeners have, have seen. A difficult product, which has taken some time to, 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 to build out. But um, I, I do think that in this next generation of growth in the sector, you're, getting, you're, you're seeing people be a lot more discerning about um, what the solar is going to look like on the rooftop and, and, and all these types of things. Of course, like the car that they drive and all, all, all these other types of activities. So, you know, on that basis, uh, certainly a, a change agent in, uh, in, in the overall industry. But, but frankly, in terms of actual solar being installed, a fairly small slice these days. Well, you know, we all see it, uh, and I think we all wonder, you know, as we drive by that home in our neighborhood that has some panels on the roof, and you know, it's a, it's a, I think a snowball effect. Uh, you know, people slowly uh, adopt and then adapt uh, and then accept. The question is how long that cycle takes to unfold. But you know, I think it's almost clear, clear as day. You know into the future, and, and, and we're seeing good examples of it now, but, you know, uh, mother's son uh, certainly has an abundance of free energy. The question is, how do we harness it? Um, the systems that you are installing, uh, Nick, and by the way, if you're just joining us, we're talking about solar and the solar industry with uh, Nick Blitters, uh, Blitters Sweek. Uh, the Sweek. Did I get your last name right, uh, Nick? <laughs> it's a complicated one. It's, it's, it's You're close. Blitters White. The Blitter's Wike, yeah, thank you very much, and I apologize for that. Um, yeah, he's the founder of uh, UG International. Uh, it's a solar company. Uh, they do installations, uh, residential and small commercial, uh, uh, correct, Nick? I, I would say uh, kind of small commercial is up, actually. So I would say kind of mid-scale. So uh, love the residential space, but for us, it's all about um, what we call it commercial and community solar. And so if I could just unpack that for 20 seconds, you know, I think sure. on the commercial side of things, in, you know, for in, in Canada, I often say a Canadian tire is sort of the smaller size uh, type of project for us. A home hardware would be too small. So, uh, so going from a Canadian tire, but then up to, you know, we all shop online and so on more and more these days. Uh, there's a lot of distribution warehouses and things like that. That uh, is a real, real target for us as well. And on the community side of things, this is something that actually... Um, Nova Scotia actually has a program that's come in recently on the more community side of things. But in the, in the U.S., and in particular on the eastern U.S., this has become increasingly common just over about the last three or four years. And in essence, if you think about all, the, you know, all of us who live in condos or apartments or our home just is not fit for solar or what have you, uh, or businesses and office buildings, this gives a chance for all of those people and companies to buy solar energy uh, through what we again call community solar. And, and, and it, it, community solar sounds a little bit of a, of a, of a maybe a cottage industry uh, type of term, but actually it's much bigger than that uh, in the sense that within an overall utility zone. So, um, you know, here in the metro New York area, it's, it's, it's Con Edison. You can have a project in one place and sell the energy through the grid to others. That's getting into the minutia, but the, the simple point that's really important 
is that most of the commercial buildings that we target are not owned by their tenant. And so being able just to work with real estate owners and put solar on those rooftops and then provide that cheap, clean energy to all the people who want it is, uh, is really opening up the growth of our industry here. Yeah, interesting, those rooftops, isn't it, Jack? Uh, we spoke about the tower stocks, all those cellular towers that uh, have are, are leasing space from a landlord, i.e. the roof. Uh, and now you're speaking about solar panels being up there. Talk about repurposing idle real estate. Uh, a pretty efficient thought, isn't it, uh, Jack? It is, absolutely. And if you're dealing with real estate owners, they're really looking for a return on investment, a return on capital. So maybe, Nick, you could walk us through the economics of it, of you know the, the cost and obviously uh, the benefit for some of these uh, landowners that are, are investing in your product. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's a very good example that the, the, the cell antennas that you see up on the building sometimes. Um, our, our most recent employee who joined us, uh, he, he's out in Pennsylvania, which is a, an upcoming market for us. And uh, you know, to be honest, he was he was previously leasing land for oil and gas, and he's he's come over to the bright side um, recently here to join us for, for that same uh, same type of thing. So, you know, it uh, if I think about a, a warehouse around the New York City region, just as an example, at an average size warehouse, we'd be paying let's say a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year uh, just to rent that rooftop from them. And you know, none of us are flying quite as much as we used to with with the pandemic, of course. But um, but whenever you fly into an airport and you look around at all the transportation, like all the all the distribution warehouses and things like that, there's a lot of empty space up there. And of course, these buildings are very close to where all the energy is being used. Right, the, the cities are what use all this energy. So this gives us an opportunity to to go in there, uh, rent this space that otherwise is not being used. So it's really found money for the uh, for the real estate owners, and then. We turn around and we sell that energy to you know, people within the, the utility zone, um, typically at about a 10% discount. So they're going month to month buying that energy at a discount, and, and it's a real you know, win-win for, for everyone involved. Hey, Nick, let's talk about some of the biggest players in solar, and specifically a stock that uh, uh, I traded. Unfortunately, it, it didn't work out for us uh, uh, as the uh, music changed and the market theme changed from a growth and expensive uh, stay-at-home environment uh, to a reopening commodity-centric environment. And, and I'm going to say from a commodity point of view, I'm assuming solar cells use a lot of silver to be produced, correct? Yeah, you know, I, I, I do believe they use some. I, I would say that I probably am not the, 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 the best expert in terms of how much they use, but I, I do believe they, they use some, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I know you have silver used to be, again, industrial application for silver is interesting to follow. Uh, and a big uh, uh, user of it back in the day was film, uh, Kodak and the likes. And, of course, that industry being gone, but solar hopefully picking up some of the slack. And I'm seeing silver showing some strength in the marketplace, Ben. I think it's beyond uh, being just a poor man's gold. It, uh, it's also an industrial applicant. Um, but let's go to some of the key players. We touch on Enphase Energy, because what, what I find interesting about some of these players in solar is that you can actually generate revenue uh, and, and sell uh, the solar to the grid. You don't have to necessarily worry about um, uh, uh, storage. Uh, if you have excess capacity, you, you send it back to the grid. So who are the key players, uh, names that we should be paying attention to and watching? Yeah, and you know the industry has grown so much in the last decade or so. Enphase is a name that I, I watch as well. Just you know, briefly, um, and, I, and I'll touch on one point there too that you mentioned that you know our model is to be, be selling this energy over the long term and, and building up these long term recurring revenues, and that's something that investors are really caught on with UGE here in the last year or so. 
Um, Enphase is a name, uh, you know, frankly, a good company that, uh, you know, if you look at if you look at the chart of that company over a decade or so, um, was kind of left for dead. Maybe I'm not sure three or four years ago, but but they have a but they really roared back. And why? It's because um, they have a, a good technology which has kind of found its its, its time here uh, in the sense that it's it's module level electronics. So they're really the um, uh, the, the the leader in providing these microinverters that that stick onto the back of the panels, and as the industry has matured, uh, that type of module level control has become actually almost written into the code. Actually, uh, that type of technology has been written into the code in, in in many places, not just the U.S. And so that's really allowed them to uh, to I think leverage that early early position they had in that in that module level electronics to to really you know make a name for themselves. And so it's. Uh, it's, it's a company that I like going forward here. And I will say, actually, on the battery storage side of things, this is one way that, that Enphase has actually been able to differentiate themselves. Is they came out with a pretty interesting storage product in the last, it must be 12 to 18 months now. And, and my understanding is that's really great gaining traction, too. So, yeah, so Enphase, I think, is, a, is an interesting company for sure. And um, you know, let me know. I could, I could rattle off a few others if you're interested. You know, I appreciate your insight into that, Nick. I really, really do. Look, um, I like the space you're in, and I want to continue to um, pay attention to it and learn about it and ultimately uh, prudently invest into it. So we'll bring you back on the air in a, in a wee while and uh, get, get an update. Nick Blitterswike, CEO and founder of uh, UGE uh, International Solar Company. Uh, real pleasure to have you on the show this evening. Uh, we're going to speak with our chief North American strategist, Mr. Martin Roberge, uh, get his view on the market. He's a Season man, he really helps Jack and I out a lot, and I'm going to share with you some of his thoughts on the market. You're going to really enjoy it. Stay tuned. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News, 640 Toronto. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't dance. And if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. I say we can go where we want to. A place where they will never find. And we can act like we come from out of this world. Leave the real one for there you go. And we can dance. You feeling it? I am. A little safety dance. Um, and you can go where you want to, right? Eh? Uh, you know, it's, it's, I can extrapolate all kinds of market wisdom from that. We're talking stock market. We're talking money and hi-fi radio. I am Wolfgang Klein. And by the way, any questions for Jack or I, uh, feel free to uh, check out our portal, WolfgangKlein.com or the Wolf on Bay Street.com. Uh, contact us. Uh, any questions, we're more than happy to uh, communicate with you. It's a delight that you're spending some time with us, and it means an awful lot. Uh, let's have some fun. Let's learn something that's going to hopefully help us build wealth. That's what the show is all about, helping you have more money. Uh, Mr. Martin Reberge, our uh, Chief North American Strategist, uh, graciously spending some time with us this evening. Um, Martin is, uh, well, he's my guy, I have to say. Uh, 25 years of experience on Bay Street, uh, a fantastic uh, uh, technician, uh, quant guy, uh, you know, and, and, and he uses all disciplines in the market. Now, you know, I really respect you for that, Martin. You know, and I say all disciplines, there's, you know, three primary ways of looking at 
equities, and I prefer a combination thereof, as does Martin. And that means technical analysis, quantitative analysis, fundamental analysis, looking at the company, uh, looking at the metrics behind the company with the quants, looking at the charts, and having a macro view, which is a big picture view. Uh, perhaps with some timing into it, uh, some experience, some data. You start to put it all together. Well, you know, it's French cooking, right? It's fine dining. That's what we're trying to create here. Uh, Martin Robert, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the intro. I just yeah, want to set the stage for you. Uh, yeah. Jack and I have spent a lot of time with you the last few weeks. The repositioning portfolios uh you know we're trying to get safer in our trade and safety dance plus a, a french canadian song uh for you my friend um so let's speak about you know where you believe the market is going to go this market's been on fire v-shape recovery um you know if you had a portfolio COVID helped you um but, it, but what i like about this changing dynamics is the the little guy um you know uh, call him joe Plummer. uh he is going to be able to make some money uh as, as he goes back to work as there is demand uh for uh labor there's demand for people uh so the the, the market's changing we see tech weakening uh you know you see interest in some of the old areas copper specifically with batteries and the like so please speak to me martin uh give us some uh, direction yeah the uh we're seeing the market um transitioning from, from from the pandemic into like a more normal recovery. But what's unusual <clears throat> behind this recovery is that we're seeing a lot of uh, supply chain disruptions, supply shortages. And, uh, and as we, we, we saw last year, uh, those bottlenecks or constraints uh, prompted companies to, to destock and clear their inventories to, to meet the demand. But as they started to, to replenish or restock, um, there are no goods around. So what we have is a situation where uh, the restocking process or cycle this time around is putting a lot of pressure on raw materials. And this is what we call a cost-push cost inflation. And it's filtering now through the, uh, the economy. And up until now, uh, we've seen like the first, first signs of, of cost plus inflation, uh, but uh, this has been happening while companies are not restocking all at, all at the same time because we still have lockdowns around the world. But as we've seen in Canada and some other countries, uh, in Europe, Germany, and France, like we, we are reopening and and this stop-and-go attitude by governments has been one of the factor holding up companies when it comes to restocking. Like, why would you restock when the government uh, opens for a week and then decides to, 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 to shut down the economy for like the week after? So now we've got the final green light in many areas around the world where the economies are reopening. And now companies are rushing, just rushing, all at the same, all at the same time. To replenish their their shelves, and this is going to accelerate or, or amplify the uh, the cost push inflation that would would, would normally start to, to bite on, on corporate earnings somewhere uh, in, in the second in, in the next quarter or, or two. So so the bottom line is that we have a changing dynamic now where we're dealing with business cycle dynamics, mid mid cycle transition, 
And normally, this is when the market becomes a little bit more volatile, as we have this rotation from the pandemic to the, the mid-cycle uh, 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 transition. And, uh, and this is what we, we're, we're, we have in sight for, for probably the next month or two. Uh, but again, this volatility should create a, another buying opportunity uh, for, for folks. And for now, I guess the, safe, the safety dance or the safe, safer dance is to continue dancing uh, with non-U.S. markets, non-U.S. equities. Uh, Canada, I like Canada. I, I like Europe. I like emerging markets. I think it's, those are safer areas to ride the volatility that I see going forward. Let's begin, Martin, this is important, uh, with the Canadian dollar. Uh, I have a lot of U.S. exposure and therefore a lot of U.S. dollars. Uh, would you convert U.S. dollars to loonies here uh, and repatriate? Uh, at, uh, not, not, at 80, not at 83. I don't think we're going to push much above 83, 84 uh, for, for, for the reasons I just explained. Like volatility this summer will probably cap uh, and put some downward pressure on, on the Canadian dollar. But we like forget about like 78 79 like the path of least resistance is higher and and the 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 range eventually the year end range uh maybe not this year but next year could be more like between 85 cents and 90 cents so uh (laughs) you're killing me so i would yeah i I, I just slipped and fell on the dance floor with that statement (laughs) (laughs) that's a buzzkill it's saturday night (laughs) no but uh, it's if you have exposure to non-U.S. equities, the euro is appreciating relative to the U.S. The yen is appreciating. Emerging market currencies are appreciating. So you're making also currency gains in your foreign equity exposure. So, so, so again, that that that's why like 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 Canada like is 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 one country that that I like. But uh, you're going to enjoy currency gains if you. You uh, you have exposure into international equities, uh, and that that will upset some of the the, uh, the heads headwinds uh, from the, the Kenyan dollar in your your portfolio. Martin, well, we I, haven't, I haven't asked you. No, I want to ask a quick question, and I'll, I will give, give you the airtime there, Jack. But um, uh, before I lose my thought here, um, do you think, therefore, we are in a long-standing um, bull market for commodities and for Canada, or is this a shorter cyclical rally uh which will eventually peter and i'm going to say then the old secular bear market will continue uh, it's it's a bull market within this business cycle i just i'm not <laughs> i'm just not sure how long this business cycle will be shorter than usual okay We're, i think we have to forget about like the the, the 10 year old the 10 year uh, uh, economic cycle this one should be about like between uh, four and five years so i think in this in this business cycle it will be a sustained bull market in commodities. That I have a pretty high conviction on that. And, and one of the reasons is, 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 is not so much just demand-related uh, factors um, uh, vis-a-vis the, uh, like the renewable energy, the green economy. It, it has to do a lot with CapEx. Uh, corporate CapEx among resource companies uh, are very muted, and uh, and companies uh, will be trying to to, to gain um, 
uh, pricing power by by limiting supply and uh, and this is exactly what we're seeing and the reason why supply is less is because we have fewer producers out there a lot of them uh, went bankrupt in the last business cycle so so tight supply combined with like good demand will keep uh, commodities well bid through this business cycle so commodities you expect to be well bid mark Dan. what about um in terms of inflation so do you see it as as structural and if it's going to be structural, do you see wage inflation uh, persisting throughout this cycle? Meaning basically the, the lower end, especially uh, minimum wage jobs, um, significantly increasing because of the demand for labor. Yeah, it's uh, like uh, there's a Jack, you know, there's a the debate out there whether inflation will be transitory or, or non-transitory. Um, mm -hmm. I would say that odds are above 50 percent, probably not 75 percent, but at least maybe 60, 70 percent that. Uh, it will not be a transitory. And, and the reason I say that is that if you look at labor markets, supply conditions, uh, we are like we had a bad number last month, but uh, one month doesn't make a trend. And if you look at all private surveys, we're closing the gap, uh, the labor gap, uh, extremely fast. And uh, as you know, like McDonald's, uh, and all the restaurant uh, restaurant industry is now raising raising uh, wages, and by our calculations, the um, the um, what we call the narrow, or the, the which is the level of an unemployment rate, where inflation starts to 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 increase or spill over the uh, the economy, like this narrow. Um, uh, number will like number will be reached by spring next year. So now it's and next next year we'll see if for sure it it is transitory or transitory or not. But odds are that when come next next spring we've got wage inflation and and housing price inflation, which we are already observing, filtering through uh, inflation statistics, and uh, and this will eventually become more of a challenge for equities in, in, in general. But the labor pool is shrinking so rapidly that we will have a better view when government, governments remove the subsidies and people start to go back to work. We'll, we'll know how the labor pool will, will move. But for now, most of the private surveys are pointing to next spring when we, we really empty, empty the labor pool and we have wage inflation pressure. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio, Global News 640 in Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein speaking with our managing director uh, and North American portfolio strategist at Canaccord. His name is Mr. Martin Roberge. Uh, a real delight, a real privilege uh, to have him on our show. Um, please stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break and get right back to Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Left your house this 
Well, good evening, my friends. Thanks for spending some time with us at TIFI Radio. Uh, spending some time with Martin Reberge, our Managing Director and North American Portfolio Strategist. Martin is situated in Montreal. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a key, key partner uh, on the Wolf on Bay Street team. Uh, Martin, of course, speaks with the institutional portfolio managers all day long, uh, giving them ideas and guidance, and then uh, in return, they do business uh, with him. It's the way the business works. It's a fascinating industry, I must say. Uh, Martin, uh, tell me something, just for fun. Uh, your, your your child and my child entered a, uh, uh, a virtual stock trading um, contest with their school. Uh, I, unbeknownst to me, by the way, uh, my, my, my son entered this contest with 100 and, 140 other students uh, at his high school. One of his guidance counselors set it up. Uh, they had software and gave them 100 grand to begin with, plus a hundred thousand dollars of margin, and uh, <laughs> lo and behold, my kid came in second without any help from his dad, and uh, he would have come in probably twenty second, maybe <laughs> with my help. But he does a whole lot right, um, and he learned a lot. Uh, although it was virtual, and the real world is very different than the virtual world, I was I'm I'm, I'm very fascinated by the knowledge youth have today those who are interested about any any subject matter and, and right now we're speaking finance uh so the uh, kudos to uh, my son but also to your son martin what, how did you find that experience first of first i would say that initially um i had many question marks i would send the list of stocks and ask classes that uh, that my son or any students could buy, and they narrowed it down to a, a number of stocks where where speculation was obviously allowed. But uh, thank God, like uh, um, there were not that many high flyers in there, and um, so you know, if you go back three months ago, it was all about two things: Tesla and Bitcoin. Coffee. And uh, you saw a truckload of people and students trying to win the contest by printing the highest return. And I said to my son, like, forget it. Like, this is not the way the game is played. You should, like, build um, a portfolio where you have exposure in every se sector of the index. I'm not going to help you with the companies uh, to pick, but I want to make sure that you have maybe two companies in, in each 10 sector. 10, 10 sectors of the TSX, and that, that's what he did. And he, and he ended up doing relatively well, not winning the, uh, the contest, but he, he, you know, he, he, he got a good mark because uh, his, um, his structure, uh, the structure of his portfolio was, was fine. And um, so if, like, you know, if they had adjusted for volatility, maybe he would have had a better, better score. But I, I, I think that it boils down to, to the primary uh, rules when it comes to investing. Make sure that you're diversified across sectors. That's number one, and make sure that also you control control the uh, kind of the volatility of your portfolio, not just by having exposure to the flavor of the day and buying stuff just because it's rising is not an investment process. And this is probably. The, the biggest challenge we have with kids right now is that they don't know why, why they're buying this, this, and this. And, and we, we ask them, what's your hedge? What do you know in, in, about this company that maybe people are not aware of? 
Like, do you have a hedge? Like, why do you buy it or why do you sell it? And uh, what we've seen for for most of the last five, like three to six months is people buying the high flyers uh, without much of a view, just because like stocks were rising. And, and here we are now with a reality check, both on, on Tesla and, and on uh, cryptocurrencies. Yeah, no, it, it it is interesting, and you know, I say kudos to you, Martin, for for guiding your son, educating your son, spending a lot of time with him, and you know, the money management is very simple. It's not easy, um, and I, again, you know, you know, the hardest thing to do with uh, building wealth, and I so encourage parents to speak to the children about that. The most, the hardest thing to do is getting started, um, and the point about volatility. Believe it or not, I still think when you get started. Mutual funds are just fine. They allow you to systematically save without paying a transaction fee. They, you can set it up automatically. 50 bucks a week goes to the mutual fund. You're going to be buying high, you'll buy low. You'll build yourself a portfolio. It'll be boring as you know what, but it will work and it will get you engaged. And you know, Jack, you made a really good point. We, we, we know this stuff uh, inherently, but it's nice to also um, uh, punctuate it and restating the obvious, and it gets down to anything in life. And you'll appreciate this too, Martin. And Jack said to me this: you know, Wolf, you gotta stay in the game. Jack, your hockey players, let's talk about that. Staying in the game. Absolutely, and I, I, I think it's great that both your kids are getting an education and in investing, uh, getting some experience, even if it is, you know, on uh, on some software that's not real money, but at least it gives them an idea of, you know, how the game is played. Uh, and I think it's great that, uh, you know, Martin was talking to his son about managing risk because that's what really allows you to participate in the stock market or in equities or in the housing market, whatever risk asset that you want. But like I said to you, Wolf, you want to stay in the game. That means if you if you do that, you take advantage of the most powerful force in investing, and that's time. So you don't want to get knocked out because you t take on too much leverage or what Martin was saying, you know, in these uh, – uh, portfolio games that they play at school maybe they take on too much concentration risk and you know they do great last year but if it was another year they may have flamed out and and gone right out of gone right to zero so you know you're talking about a uh, hundred thousand dollars of stock hundred thousand dollars of leverage um you know you want to make sure that you manage risk so that over time you participate in that powerful force of compounding yeah and again so staying in the game i go back to what martin said and i agree and it's boring and it works you want to have exposure virtually to most sectors of the economy. Martin, you, I think you used the word all sectors. Um, and again, you, I think you can get cute and maybe trim a few out. Uh, I don't think I've held a consumer staple stock uh, in my 20-year career for more than three minutes. Uh, they, they just don't work for me. But there's a time and place for them. The staple's right here, right now, eh, Martin? Uh, I'm talking Kellogg Cornflakes. I'm talking Twinkies, my friend. Twinkies put out a good print this week. Uh, why don't we just for fun uh, speak about that boring food sector called consumer staples? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's there. There are various players in there. It's uh, it's not homogeneous when it comes to uh, the, the consumer staple sector. So you really have to pick your your spot. Yeah, there were huge pandemic beneficiaries, and and you know that we are probably seeing in in the first quarter and probably in second quarter peak peak growth when it comes to uh, earnings growth for these uh, pandemic plays so within the consumer staple uh now i think we have to look uh, outside uh, the box or outside those 
pandemic beneficiaries, and there are a couple of, a couple of them out there. And and when when you talk about tweaking in, tweaking out exposure, this is what it's all about. Like within sector, you have to to identify. There are always groups of stocks that will be moving with a team and groups uh, of stocks that that will be moving in the opposite direction of a of a team. Of a team, yeah. Uh, we're talking consumer staples with Martin Reberge. Look, let's take a quick break. Uh, Perhaps you want to fill your glass with some consumer staples. <laughs> and we'll get right back to Hi-Fi Radio and our chief North American strategist, Mr. Martin Roberge. I'm learning so much. I hope you're enjoying the show. Stay tuned. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We're talking consumer staples, my good friend. Hey, every couple of weeks, there's people up there, my kids included, they like that Big Mac fries to go. Consumer staple stocks, you know, beer, cornflakes, Twinkies, uh, tobacco, ooh, a uh, long list of them. Uh, they are not created equally. Uh, you have to really pick your places, uh, Martin believes. And we're joined by just that, Mr. Martin Roberge, our North American chief strategist, stationed in Montreal. Uh, huge help to the Wolf on Bay Street. Uh, you know, uh, when I need to call a friend, I call Martin first. He, he, he really helps me out. He, he's always looking forward to a lot of analysis in his uh, process, and it is great. Uh, thank you very kindly, Martin, for spending time with us this Saturday night. I hope you are well in Montreal, my friend. Uh, let's talk staples. Uh, you know, uh, you, you understand the choix de vie and good food. Um, is that what it's all about? Uh, I think you have to look more at the operators uh, behind the companies. Uh, and in Canada, like I know that a lot of folks are, 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 are looking at U.S. staples because it's a, such a big sector in the U.S. But in Canada, there are very few staple companies. And as you know, there's no healthcare sector. So when it comes to picking defensive stocks, well, you're limited to a few stocks and the food retailers in Canada uh, are extremely good operators. And this is a sector, like when I mean food, food retailers, I mean like Kushtar, uh, Loblaw, Metro, Empire. This is one of the, the sector that usually benefits when the, U, the Canadian dollar is, is rising because it lowers their import costs. Don't forget, they import a lot of vegetables, like food and vegetables, from other countries. And the uh, strengthening of the dollar is lowering their import costs in a significant way. And this is a, and huh. in Canada, when it comes to finding again, um, some protection or hiding, like since there are no, not too many alternatives, these stocks tend to do very well when uh, people are looking for some defensive uh, exposure. And uh, we've got probably one of the best operators in, in North America. So when it comes to consum consumer staples, I tend to have a home bias and, and stay in Canada. 
give us some other ideas in the space with, with within the staples. And sorry, Jack, go ahead. I was just going to say, just to jump in, and really the, the theme of the day is inflation. So it's good to have a, a good, strong Canadian dollar, as Martin said, in that case. But w- what about the input costs with all these staples? And I, I, know, I know that it is priced in U.S. dollars, so that does benefit us. But, you know, when you have, you know, grains increasing in price and, you know, and cereals, um, you, you have to have really strong brands to, to pass along that cost yeah. to the consumer. So do. How, how does that come into your, uh, your trade there, Martin? Yeah. Actually, they do. And this is, uh, you know... They have some, don't forget, they have some hedging strategies. But what the reality is, is very simple. When you have rising raw food inflation, okay, these guys will pass on more than the actual increase because the actual increase is hedged, okay, using various uh, futures contracts on, uh, on, on, ag, commodi- on ag commodities, uh, on vegetables, and they also hedge their transportation costs as well. So, I, I, you know what? The good thing is that, yes, there is inflation, but it's an opportunity for them to pass on those higher costs and some more to consumers. And I think this is what we're, we're going to see uh, this, uh, this, this year in, in Canada with these uh, companies. And, and you know, they, they will be reporting soon, and uh, I expect to see more of that. Uh, in 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 uh, second quarter earnings, so so uh, long story short, it's an opportunity for them to use their pricing power. Well, it's been an interesting discussion, and uh, so much of it around the theme of inflation. Uh, it's here. It's coming. Uh, the question is how far it runs and for how long. Um, but you can't fight trends, my good friend. Uh, you got to respect them uh, and adjust accordingly. That's what the show is all about—to help guide you uh, through the complexities of world finance. Uh, you know, we live in a global village, my good friends. We have to think globally, and I guess act locally. I want to wish you a safe weekend. I want to thank you very kindly for spending an hour with Jack, myself, Martin Roberge, uh, uh, the Canaccord team here to help you have more wealth. Uh, stay safe, my good friends, and we'll speak with you next weekend. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.